Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is my close friend, John Martin. John and I connected back in 2019, I believe, and I reached out to him on LinkedIn because like John, I was an accountant who was transitioning out of my career in corporate accounting and enrolled at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to get a health coaching certification. So with a little bit of LinkedIn stalking and research, I actually filtered through Institute for Integrative Nutrition attendees and looked for people with a background in accounting. And we are a rare breed indeed. So uh, there weren't that many people, but for whatever reason, I felt really compelled to reach out to John. And ever since that reach out, we have become really close friends at A point early on in COVID, we started having these weekly conversations that were about an hour long, and we were talking about so many different topics that made me come to life and feel fully alive. And we finally decided, after years of doing these conversations, let's record this on a podcast together. We talk about so much interesting shit, and so much of it is helpful for us. I imagine it'll be really helpful for others. So in this conversation, we unpack a little bit about our stories, why we chose accounting as a profession and went down the more traditional path and the pain of realizing that path wasn't working for us and not knowing where the hell we wanted to turn from there. So we spend a little bit of time talking about that. We talk about ways that we did come to find ourselves, And while that is an ongoing journey, the initial pain of it is mostly gone. And we're now asking questions like, how can we thrive? How can we live the most optimally fulfilled and healthiest lives possible? And we explore some of these fun topics as well. I experienced John to be a breadth and wealth of information and wisdom about what it means to be optimally healthy and What it means to discover yourself. John, in so many ways, is discovering himself. He's traveling the world a lot. He's reading so many different books, listening to a million different podcasts. And most importantly, I think he's really honest and sincere and vulnerable when talking. So I think you're really going to connect on so many different levels with what John is up to and who he is. I really loved this conversation. John did not select an organization that he would like to bring awareness to, which I do in every episode. So I am going to present a charity that is really meaningful to me. My friend Hassel Montez runs an organization called Internal Creations. So please join me in donating to this wonderful organization. With all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, And enjoy this beautiful and wide-ranging conversation with John Martin right now. 
I've been waiting for this day for a very long time. I've been waiting to say this for our entire friendship. John, welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Thanks, Mike. I would definitely agree with you. It's been a long time coming, probably about three years overdue, but here we are. Yeah. So I think maybe an interesting tidbit that you're not expecting that I'll drop in here because sometimes people ask me, like, how did you start a podcast? How did you know that that was the right thing for you? How, I don't want to say, how did you get so good? But people ask me, like, how are you prepared all the time? And one of the reasons that I can say is that early on in our friendship, we used to record our conversations together. And I, I don't think you realize how much that has helped me to get a little bit more comfortable being recorded, being on camera, even though those never went anywhere at all. We got in the habit of, I don't know, realizing that our conversations could have more of an impact or would help other people other than ourselves because we were speaking truths, things that were really intimate and vulnerable to each other. And in some ways, I'm looking forward to that unfolding actually in a recorded to be released platform today. So that's amazing. And I, I did not realize that. I also did not realize that you were recording those conversations. So thank you for letting me know now. <laughs> you were recording the conversations. That, that, that's true. I was. No. And we've had so many conversations over the years. We you know, essentially talked weekly for what, about two years. And then when I embarked on this semi-nomadic lifestyle, it kind of trickled off as I was hopping around time zones. And that's a little unfortunate, but I would say 50% of the time we would get off those phone calls and say, man, we should have recorded that. Or man, we should, we should be doing a podcast together. And I have to say, I'm, I'm so pumped that you're doing this. It's amazing seeing you doing this and I'm really happy for you and you're doing an awesome job. Thank you, man. Yeah. I really appreciate that. So other in other interviews, I typically start by asking what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? And I'm going to throw the audience for a loop today and say, I, I, we might get there. I, I, I'm always interested in hearing about childhood. And I know that you have done a lot of reflection on your own childhood, but something, I guess the reason that we got in touch in the first place is because we both have a public accounting background and we both went to the That's Institute right. for Integrative Nutrition. And mm -hmm. I, I reached out to you on LinkedIn because I thought it was very rare for someone from the accounting industry to then get into holistic health coaching. And I am curious, I, I, we, I'm sure we've spoken about this before, but why did you go into accounting in the first place? It was 100% safety. It was just the complete safe and survival move play at the time. I, I grew up in a household and I grew up in a town where it was just that middle, upper middle class model. Everyone was basically a doctor, lawyer, accountant, some kind of white collar job. My parents, my dad was at the same career for 30 something years. And my parents always just modeled safety and risk aversion, which is great in some aspects. And I'm, I'm grateful for in some aspects, but what they did not model is that risk taking or really thinking outside the box in terms of what you can do with your life. And when I grew up, I was very interested in art and music. I was always outside in the mud, getting dirty, building things out of sticks and leaves. And I, I did not love school. 
And at some point that creative fire kind of got snuffed and I, I don't want to blame my parents, but they very much emphasize the, the world of academia and getting good marks, going to college and pursuing that path. I did at times express an interest in moving forward with art or music or physical therapy. And I was met with some resistance. They would always support me, but it didn't come without words of warning or caution and throwing phrases around like starving artists and just showing me examples of people who tried to do this and were still living at home and scraping pennies together. So, and I was very impressionable. I, I just, again, growing up in a household where safety is modeled, where I very much relied on my parents, uh, respected them, feared them, and kind of took their word to be the final word. I just let all of that sink in and it, it left an impression and it very much guided a lot of my actions through my teenage years and into my early twenties. Hmm. So when I was in college and when I had to decide my major, it was 2008. That's when things started coming crashing down. So I, I went on the internet, I said, okay, what jobs have the most job placement or what majors have the most job placement after college? It was accounting, nursing, maybe information systems or coding, something in technology and something else. And I remember having conversations with my grandparents. My grandfather was always urging me to go into business. And I'm like, okay, cool, business, accounting, great, I'll do that. And it was very much that. And with that decision, I basically threw away my dreams to pursue art or music mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. Where do you think your creativity and your love for arts and music came from? Is that like in, in some ways, I not in some ways, in all the ways, I really believe that all of us are inherently creative. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know, love for arts and music to, to be in touch with that at a young age, especially if it wasn't being modeled by your parents. I'm, I'm curious where that came from. Was it encouraged in some ways, but like not don't, don't pursue it as a vocation, just do it for fun type of thing. Sure. And I, I, I would hesitate to say those weren't modeled growing up. They very much were in my household. So I would say it's a little bit of nature and nurture. There's a lot of creativity in my family, my dad's side, my cousins, there's, uh, they're very prolific artists and musicians, very talented. My brother was a very talented musician and my mom was a cantor at a major church in Washington, DC. And she was a phenomenal singer at one point. She also used to sew her own clothes as a kid. She would buy these patterns and she'd buy these templates and she'd stay up till three or four in the morning sewing clothes. So there's always been creative desires, creative expression in my family. And my parents, despite encouraging us to take the safe path in life, they also gave us a lot of tools and resources to explore and figure out what we did like. So it was kind of like, hey, you can try this and you can like it, but that's not going to be your life. And so we tried out a lot of musicians growing up. I played trumpet. I played piano for a little bit, eventually landed on guitar. My brother was a saxophonist and was very, very talented, quite exceptional. And I don't recall how I got into art and drawing, but that was my one staple. That was the one thing I looked forward to in, in elementary school and junior high school and high school was my art class. I, I cannot recall though, when was that moment when I realized that's what I wanted to pursue or that it was such a big part of my life. It just emerged. Hmm. Well, I'm already learning some new things about you. So that's one of the oh. beauties of 
doing something like this is someone that I already speak to very closely. I'm, I'm learning about you and, and your family of origin. And yeah, it's, it's neat to be able to have it documented. I'm wondering, well, I want to also name that the intention with this conversation was for it to be both ways, but now sure. I, I'm kind of already, <laughs> I'm finding myself right in the interview seat where I'm, I'm wanting to learn sure. more things about you. What I guess what I have in mind is I would love to hear from you when you started to realize that accounting wasn't working for you and decided to also take action on that. And then I'll share my version of it because I think it happened at similar points in our life. And, and there's something to that, the getting to a certain level, realizing it's not working and then taking action from there. Sure. I would say that I realized accounting wasn't for me pretty early on in my career. Pretty soon after what I would call the honeymoon phase of getting into corporate America and a new job out of college and actually making, you know, quote, big money for the first time wore off. However, I definitely got sucked into the trap of the carrot that they would dangle in front of you with the pretty quick promotions and fairly significant raises your first couple of years, the idea of being on partner track. And again, those, those safety and fear patterns that I had would just keep on kicking in. And I told myself, or I would take action that would reinforce this planet safe, following the conventional path, staying on that track and essentially following that conventional lifestyle. So I oftentimes craved or thought about getting out of it, jumping out, doing something else. And I'd always tell myself, oh, it's too late. I'll be so far behind. I have to take a big pay cut. I'll have to make a lot of sacrifices. And that was really flawed thinking because I did it over a decade later <laughs> and the best time to start is now. And you can't really think about all the time lost or that you didn't start before. It's not really lost time. But yeah, it was, it was very, very early on for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I want to get to what you, what you did afterwards, but maybe, maybe I can share a little bit about, I don't know if I've shared quite in this way with my audience about why I chose accounting and like where I went from there and, and what kept me in accounting for a long time. So I would say, un unlike you, I didn't really, my love when I was younger was sports. And I mm. pretty quickly realized, oh, despite my mom's efforts to tell me, you could do anything that you want to, Mike. Like, if you want to be a basketball player, you could be a basketball player. I guess that I had the inner pragmatist in me was very strong from a young age. And by the time I was, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, <laughs> I realized I'm really good at basketball and there's no chance that I'm going to be a professional athlete. Mm. So I think that one of the first places that I began to look, well, if I'm being really honest, I had no fucking idea what I wanted to do with my life. But what, but what I did know is that I was interested in human behavior to some extent. And I remember telling my parents that I wanted to be a psychology major, not with a lot of emphasis behind it. I think that there, there wasn't a lot of confidence or meat behind it. I just think it was my best stone that I could throw against the wall. And mm. my parents, I, I believe this is how I remember it. They honored that they said, you can do what you want, mm. but we believe that the business world is the best route to make it in life. And also that you will be able to apply anything about psychology or human behavior in the business world, which I, I do subscribe to for sure. 
it's a a useful skill. The business absolutely. world is is absolutely you need to understand people to really thrive. And so that was, I guess that that was the most impressionable memory I have about what career path to take. And then from there, it was it was pretty fear based all the way down. I when I was in the business school at Binghamton, I was pretty easily convinced of just following the herd because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And everyone was kind of funneled into the accounting. If you were impressionable at all, which I was just like you, everyone got funneled down the accounting path. And from there, once I made the commitment, I, I didn't really question it. And I would say through college and my first, say, three to four years of working professionally, I was so concerned with fitting in that my sense mm -hmm. of self started to fade away. I wasn't really, if it felt like I was misaligned, I looked at that as uh, something I was ashamed of about me, right? Like something was broken about me because everyone else seems to be doing just fine or even better. Everyone else seems to be doing great. And so if I'm not, if I'm not figuring out how to make this work, then something's wrong with me. And sure. yeah, I'll pause there because it seems like things are coming up for you. <laughs> no, and this is, this is all coming back to me just because we've covered so much ground over the last, what, three, four years now. And I remember this is one of those things we very early on recognizing each other, shared and bonded over. And one of those first kind of moments where we recognized a lot of parallels in our lives. And what you said resonated with me too, which is there was certainly an element of being caught up in fitting in. And maybe for me, I don't know for you, but like making it. Yes. And there was always a part of me that just didn't or wouldn't or couldn't fit into that. But I was always fighting that. I was always in resistance to that. And it created a lot of friction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to say yes. the least. Same for me. And I also, I've very much come to peace with that part of my journey because I just wasn't ready to actually take a step in a way that felt like it was off the beaten path. And mm. I, it's interesting because I've since gotten feedback. One, one of my favorite coaching exercises I've ever done was to reach out to, I think it was 2030 people or so that know me in different contexts of my life. And I think one of the questions was, how have I affected you or how do you see me? It, it was something to that effect. And there were several people who had mentioned that I marched to the beat of my own drum and that I'm a leader. This was before I started to really venture off the beaten path that I have now. So it's, I guess I'm, I'm putting that in there to say, the way that we see ourselves a lot of times is is not the way that we're perceived by other people. And I, I find that very fascinating. I think you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of times we often focus on those things that we're very insecure about mm -hmm. or that we find to be deficient. And because we are spending so much time and energy thinking about those, it's almost like we think we are a projector projecting those parts of us out into the world and that everyone's seen it and scrutinizing it when in reality, no one cares. No one's looking at it. They're too caught up in their own worlds. And I'm trying to be optimistic here for humanity. I'd like to think that most people do look for the best in other people and try to give them the benefit of the doubt. So oftentimes, and I, I've actually run into this many times in the last week and today with some own instances in my life and with some interactions I've had with people where I just assume they're thinking one thing or jump to one I, I jumped to thinking there, okay, they must be thinking this. They're not thinking that at all. 
And I don't know why my mind's going there. I can make a few educated guesses, but oftentimes they're just so consumed in their own world. It's not even on their mind. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just like you said, we're all, we're all filtering the world a certain way Mm -hmm. and then projecting the way that we see the world and ourselves onto other people. And absolutely for me, it was that, yeah, it's for both of us. It sounds like that the desire to make it and the desire to fit in were so strong that I would have compromised almost any aspect of myself to just continue going down that line. And for me, it did come to a screeching halt at a certain point where I just, (laughs) I, I was willing to take a look at my path and say, I I'm just not going to be a partner at an accounting firm and I have no idea where to turn. I'm Mm. happy to share about what that looked like for me, but I'd love to hear that. Okay. So we'll do that. And then I would love to hear the the same for you. So it's interesting. I don't know exactly what started clicking for me with regard to behavior change. I, I remember at various times, well, when I was younger, I loved not only watching sports, but playing sports, which I've named, but I really lost touch with that as I began to work professionally. The first two, three, four years or so that I was working, I dedicated my whole life basically to, as I remember it, I was either trying to find a girlfriend, partying, which is maybe a combination of both at the same time, or (laughs) working working or watching TV. That's essentially the way that Mm -hmm. my life started to pan out. And... At a certain point, I realized I just, I wasn't moving my body anymore. And I started to gain weight a little bit. I had always eaten like crap, but that was catching up to me. I was starting to feel more anxious. And there were maybe two, three, or even four week periods of time where I would be consistent about waking up in the morning, would go to the gym. But you and I both have a tax background. There were two busy seasons that I was brushing up against every single Mm -hmm. year where I would eventually be working 80 to 90 hours a week and everything fell by the wayside. And then my entire life basically revolved around busy season, which meant drinking coffee, having Adderall (laughs) if I was working more than 40 hour a week, because that was the only way that I'd have the energy. And then it became this vicious cycle of I wasn't sleeping well. I had no energy to do anything except work and party. And I guess that that came to a head at a certain point. I don't remember exactly what shifted for me, but I I do think that there is a a recognition that this is not working. I can't do this Mm long-term. And so I, I think I I found a couple of YouTubers and Instagram accounts that felt aligned for movement, working out a man by the name of Jeff Cavalier with, with Mm -hmm. athlete X. If you want to train, if you want to look like an athlete, you have to train like an athlete that really landed with me because I wanted to get in touch with my inner athlete. I I guess that's the best guess I have in this moment is that I was, Mm. there was an identity level in me of you're an athlete, Mike, let's get back to that. Let's have some fun. It's amazing. These, these things at the time that seem insignificant, but they implant these subliminal bombs and they might marinate for a very long time, but then they fester and then they just, they go off. And it it produces that cascade of events. Yeah. 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 I guess that's what it was for me. So like, by, and I was like, okay, an athlete looks this way. And one of the ways they look this way is by eating a certain way as well. And 
think from there, I just got lucky and backed into, holy shit, feels really good to eat well and to move. Like I'm a different person. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's yep. what got me at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So. Well, I've got to say, Mike, I've seen a lot of Jeff Cavalier's testimonials and I've never seen one about someone quitting their job after <laughs> seeing his content. So you might be the first there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's awesome. I, I showed you mine and now I want to hear yours. Uh, I, there's obviously a lot more to it, but what, yeah, how did it start to come to a head for you? It was a slow burn, man. And it was, it was a long time coming. It took a very long time. So I, I began in the accounting world in 2011 and I didn't start making moves until 2017. I believe that's the year I, maybe it was 2018, actually it was 2018 when I enrolled into the Institute. And I was, again, I was unsettled for a number of years. I was unhappy, but I just, that's the only path I knew. And I, I felt like I was just locked into it. I feel like I'd invested so much into it already. I, I didn't have the time or energy to even contemplate another path as badly as I wanted it. And same with you. It's, and let's be real. It's not two busy seasons anymore. It's, you know, with all the quarterly work and tax accounting work and all the things that pop up and whatever else we won't bore whoever's listening to this, but it's, it's quite more often than April and October. And you go through these roller coasters and, and after you're done with busy season, you usually get sick because of the adrenaline crash and, and being jacked up on adrenaline and your immune system suppressed. And then once you regain your energy, you're all invigorated and fired up to move on. And maybe you look for some jobs or you start exploring other career paths. And next thing you know, it's the holidays and then it's busy season again. And so you just get stuck. <laughs> you get stuck in this, this awful cycle. So I, and I don't want to totally bash it because I met so many amazing friends and colleagues in accounting. And I have to say when you're in college or whatever else from the, from movies, accounts get really bad reps. And maybe that's true and well-earned for certain generations or certain companies. But I had to say, I've met some truly interesting, fascinating people in accounting who have really great side hustles and hobbies and experiences and like to travel and are foodies. And so I, I think a lot of the stereotypes don't really hold up. And I made a lot of great friends, met a lot of wonderful people and had a lot of great experiences. So it's what ultimately got me to New York City I was able to change offices and I know I could have gotten another job, but it was very simple just to put in an office change request and do that. And it supported a certain lifestyle. I also, I also wanted to just call out that for us right now, where we are based on the journeys that we've been through, it's very easy to look back with the benefit of hindsight and say, what a coulda, shoulda. And we've learned so much since then we've grown such so much since then we've had so many experiences that have changed the way that we see the world. And I was so naive at the time compared to now. And so I can't really take my current view of reality in the world and look back on the version of me back then and judge that. It, what I did, the actions and decisions I made at that time, they suited the person who I was at the time. And I did everything in my power to make the best decisions for myself. And I did what I could. I did what I thought was best. So I just want to call that out real quick. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who have regrets and and don't get me wrong, I battle regret all the time. And I try not to shame and blame myself for my past and try to extend a lot of compassion to myself. And it's a work in progress. But I think we need to be kinder to past versions of ourselves because everyone is doing the best that they can at the time with the resources that they have and the level of awareness that they have. So for me, again, it was a slow burn. And 
I just got fed up at some point. I went into private. So I went in-house at a company, uh, HBO, the, the network. And I convinced myself that I would move over to the creative side somehow, which is, which was possible. Some people had done it, not necessarily from tax or accounting, but if you put in the extra work after work and acquire a new skill, you can, you can do it. I knew some people there who did it, but again, I got caught up in busy season cycles and let's be honest, after you clock out of work and commute home and make dinner, whatever else, it's really hard to flip the switch and, and do a second shift, trying to learn a new skill and, and, and make a shift. So I, I eventually just got tired of it. And I, I, I recognized that I was allowing being an accounting and doing that occupation to really weigh on me. And it affected the version of the story I told myself about myself. And I, it just affected my energy. I don't have a better way of putting it than that. And I own that maybe there are ways to manage that, to compartmentalize and to say, okay, this is my job. It's serving a purpose. It's paying the bills and it's not who I am and it doesn't define me, et cetera, et cetera. But that's just not me. Something always just was rubbing me the wrong way. And something was always just prodding me to do something else, try something else, tap into these old uh, passions that I had. Tap into the other skills that I have. Don't play it safe. The I actually do have a pivotal moment here where it was the holy shit moment. And I remember I was walking home from work one day and I was walking through a park and I was listening to a podcast and it was by someone who went on to be my mentor a year later. And I he was my mentor slash coach for about two years. And he was just discussing this idea of living in the matrix. And he was referring to an interview or a podcast that Kanye West had been on. And Kanye was talking about how he was raising his children and specifically how he was talking to his children and what he was telling them and being very intentional with his language to not warp their worldviews and realities. And he was talking about at one point, just taking the red pill or the blue pill. And I know that's so overdone, so cliche, and it's used a lot in the coaching world. But something about that interview just struck me. And I just remember walking and stopped. I literally stopped walking and I said, holy shit, everything I've been doing has been from this place of safety. I've been pursuing this conventional lifestyle, maybe begrudgingly, but without questioning it, trying to make that salary to buy the house, to have the white picket fence and the dog and, and just have all these things and follow this kind of templatized life. I was like, do I even want that? And I'd never asked myself that question before. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was just, it was literally like the sky fell down and there was just this tension that released from my body. And in some ways I felt like I was set free. So I was like, holy shit, I don't, at least not right now. There's so much I want to do, but I've been just putting myself on this track to doing that. And then right there, that explained why there was just so much friction for so long. And it's like, this version of myself, this part of myself that I completely forgotten about and neglected just came back to life. So that's, that's very long-windedly in a nutshell. So I'll let you just, I'll just pause there and, and let you jump in and ask any questions you have or follow up on that. Well, there's a couple of reflections I have because you said a, a lot of good things in there. One, just general comparing timelines. So you, you said you began accounting in 2011 and you enrolled for Institute for Integrated Nutrition in 2018. I started 
in accounting. 2013, I was an intern. 2014, I began full-time. And 2019 is when I enrolled for the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So at least in the way that I see the world right now, there's something about getting to that level of either manager or six-figure income, or like I guess that was the, the pedestal that I, I was trying to climb on my whole life. And that for me, it's powerful to realize that when you get to the pedestal, <laughs> that it's not like, I, I'm not any happier on this pedestal than, mm-hmm. in fact, as a matter of fact, I'm probably a lot less happy than I used to be. And so that's a, another thing that I want to name there. I also, I really appreciate that you said that you've worked with a lot of good people because I still work part-time in accounting and I continue to work with such wonderful people, like truly, genuinely really good people. And that was really rarely the challenge that I had in working in accounting was that I was working. I've always felt like I've been working with really good people who cared about me and it wasn't just a clock in clock out mentality. The thing that was missing for me was the, the muning, the meaning being imbued in the work. I, I found it to be very monotonous and not challenging in a way that I found enjoyable. But mm. to another one of your points that you named, I think it's really, it's important to honor that I just wasn't ready at the different chapters of my life in the past to make different choices than the ones that I made. And, and I do continue to come to peace with that, that it's easy from our current vintage point to say, Mike, it shouldn't have, that accounting was never the right fit for you. I mean, what were you, what were you thinking? You, you weren't courageous enough. And in the moment, that was absolutely the best choice that <laughs> I could make. And, and I'm really grateful for being in, in the accounting field as I continue to be. I've done it for now going on nine years. I think that it's a flawed industry and one that in many ways was a really good fit for me. It just wasn't the right fit as I continue to evolve and grow. Hmm. So I wanted to name all that. And I also want to speak about why we got into the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And, and then also from there, what, how did the pendulum swing far enough that it, it, almost, it almost seems like our, our lifestyle went the exact opposite way? And, and that presented its own unique challenges as well. So it's, a, I guess, two-part question. Why did you do IAN and what were some of the challenges you faced after that? Sure. So for me, getting into something that was tangential to sports and health was a no-brainer. Not even tangential, it was directly related. So I, growing up, I had a lot of health issues. I was born with what would probably be considered a lot of autoimmunity I don't know if you can be born with it, but I had a lot of issues that would present as something that's autoimmune related, asthma, allergies, all these skin issues, gut issues, the whole nine yards. So for me, my entire childhood was more or less painted by managing all these health issues. I was always in the doctor's office. I was always getting a prescription filled. I was always putting something into my body, which I think in a lot of ways had a psychological disruption in my childhood and adolescence. And Growing up, my, you know, my mom, God bless her. She was a fantastic cook. She's from the South and she did a lot of home cooking for us from scratch, but it was not the healthiest or most nutritious food. And I went through a lot of changes in my childhood with searching schools and, and groups of friends. And we don't have to get into all that now, but eventually I, or at some point I started turning to food to soothe myself and was more or less eating my feelings. And I put on 
a pretty significant amount of weight from fifth grade to eighth or ninth grade health issues exacerbated from that. And I had been heavily involved in sports my entire childhood. I basically did every sport except for football because my parents wouldn't allow it. And I took a few years off when I had gained all this weight, had super low self-esteem. I was most likely very depressed at the time. And my parents, when I got into high school, they said, okay, you got to get off your butt and do a sport. And at the time I had just kind of lost all my connection with the sports that I used to be very good at baseball and hockey and basketball. And I chose rowing because that's what my brother was doing at the time. And through rowing and through being in that group, which is a you know, rowing is a tremendously arduous sport. It's very taxing. It's, it's, it's mentally, physically, emotionally taxing one of the most challenging sports out there. And, and through that, that was when I more or less transformed from this version of me who is overweight, depressed, eating my feelings, having a lot of destructive behaviors to just a new me, a new version of me. And I continued being on this quest for health and self-improve my health and self-improvement through college and after college. And it was just something I became very passionate about through my own healing and transformation journey. So when I said before, I literally gave up all of my passions as a kid, art, music, sports, I, I literally gave them all up and did the polar opposite with accounting. So when I had my matrix moment, my red pill, blue pill moment, and I went on this quest to try to figure out, okay, well, what do I do now? How do I start over? And just kind of did a lot of research and reading and put myself through all these exercises of self-discovery, self-analysis and evaluation. And I, I recognized a few things. I, I really loved helping people similar to you. Growing up, I had a, a profound fascination in human behavior, psychology. I was always that friend, even at a very young age, I would just slip into very deep conversations with people, always helping them with their problems, their challenges, more or less coaching them, which is a, probably a segue for in a few minutes. And I, so coaching was a no brainer. And with my background in sports and fitness and health, my healing journey, I don't remember when or how I stumbled across the prospect of being a health coach, but I did. And this was probably in 2017. I started researching heavily a lot of programs. I was looking at a program in Duke. I was looking at IIN and a few other prominent programs at the time. I think maybe Chris Kresser's program. And I honestly cannot tell you why I landed on IIN. There was something about the founder, Joshua. That's his name, right? Joshua, who he, it just really, he resonated with me. I really liked his vibe. I thought he was a really kind, gentle person. Uh, I was attracted to the fact that this program was local, even though it was kind of a, a, a digital worldwide program is based on New York city. And they probably had some good marketing that, that got me too, but it seemed like a very comprehensive, robust program. I also didn't know where I wanted this coaching to go specifically, what vein I wanted to go down, how I wanted to specialize. It felt like this was broad enough to allow me to explore all the possibilities, but also went very deep on a lot of topics to give me the education and resources that I needed to be successful. Do you want to share your journey or do you want to continue with part two? I'm happy to share a little bit about my journey. Sure. I already kind of set the table for how it became 
something relevant to me, but I, I had this identity of athlete that I put down like you, I got lost from it for a little bit, but I guess it was speaking to me loudly enough that I, I really, I finally became committed enough to a gym routine that even in busy season, I would make the time in the morning to go, even if it was only for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And so I guess as an add on to my identity of athlete who works out, I started to treat my body better. And mm. it was purely from a vain place. I wanted to look a certain way. And what I backed into was that I realized just how much my mood and my energy and my appetite for life, I guess, would be the best way to say it. My vitality was affected by what I was eating. Mm. So I think I, at that point, it's interesting. I wanted to proselytize. Like I, I thought I found this thing that I need to tell everyone about, but I also had a deep fear of being seen. Mm. And so when I, my come from, when I signed up for, for IAN was not that I want to learn about a million different things. It was that I wanted to know everything there is about food so that I could teach everyone the, I'm going to go big air quotes here, the right way to eat mm. and to live. And mm -hmm. it's again, like I could laugh about that now, but that was given the way that I saw myself and the world, that was the, that was the thing that I was really hungry for. I was like, someone needs to freaking tell me what to eat. Someone needs to tell me how to live. Someone needs to tell me the next thing to do with my life. Someone needs to tell me what career path I should go down. And at IIN, another thing that I got really lucky with is that it doesn't prescribe that at all. Mm -hmm. it, it gives you a million different views. I, Josh Rosenthal is the, the founder. He says that IAN is Switzerland. We don't take any stance on anything. We just <laughs> give you all of the information, mm. which is exactly what I needed. It, it really expanded my worldview in a way that I wasn't intentionally going for it. I think the reason I chose IAN over any other program was just they, in talking to maybe five other people, who were interested in health and wellness, they said that was the best school. And I didn't put that much more thought into it other than I, I need to take some sort of action. Let me go for it. Mm. And the action's better than nothing right now. And uh, yeah, I think from there, it's after IAN, I have gone really a lot deeper into what the meaning of life is. And uh, that is the, the namesake of my podcast really. So it's, it, that's a forever journey at this point. But one of the beautiful gifts of IAN is that it opened me to not only the healing power of food, but all of the elements kind of on the spoke of the wheel that contribute to our wellness. So our relationships, our home environment, like there was a module on feng shui, didn't realize how much I needed that, but mm -hmm. just the, having plants in your home makes a big difference. Your connection to nature, your connection to spirit, universe, something bigger than you. IAN brings mm. all of that in. And that was a, a beautiful, I guess I was open at that point in my life in a way that three years prior, I wouldn't have been open. And that, I was thinking of that with your matrix realization that mm. if you listened to that podcast, even six months before that day, it might not have landed with you. There was just something about the timing of that moment. Something I love about our conversations is that oftentimes I forget things in my life. And because of these very similar parallel tracks, you say something that reminds me of something from my past. And that is 
I had a similar experience with IIN and some other experiences in my life, but IIN was really what solidified this, which is similar to you with, with my journey, or if I heard you correctly, there was certainly an element after the, after the healing, I'm doing air quotes here. After that first stage of healing or transformation, I just thought nutrition health was slamming weights at the gym, maybe doing some cardio, guzzling some water and having, you know, chicken breast and broccoli and sweet potatoes and everything else was whatever. And it wasn't until things like IIN that I realized that health is so much more than that. And in fact, those things like these physical practices are maybe the food that we're putting into our mouth while very important and can be complete game changers for people, depending on where they are in their journey are also in some ways, the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have these other areas of your life balanced, spiritual, emotional, psychological relationships, play hobbies, et cetera, you're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be well-rounded and there's going to be some dysfunction in your life and it's going to present some way and it's probably going to present in some physical way. And then you're going to go try to heal that thing. So it's, it's really fascinating. And, and IIN among a few other things really opened my eyes to that. And I, I went from saying all that stuff doesn't matter or it's woo-woo or, to probably being one of the most woo-woo people out there <laughs> <laughs> and not quite. I, I kind of live in between, you know, science and spirituality and, and definitely enjoy a heavy dose of woo-woo. But yeah, man, that that's a really great point that I had just forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. What if you'll indulge me, what are what are some of the the woo-woo beliefs that you've adopted or or things that you pay attention to? It could be astrology, any anything at all. I I want I'm here for all of it. Sure. I okay. There's a lot and I've tried, I've tried a lot of things and I, I would say the other gateway for this stuff is that I reached an upper limit with my, again, air quotes, like healing and transformation through conventional practices, gym, trying to dial in my sleep and hydration, going to, to traditional doctors. The next step was functional medicine and alternative medicine, naturopathic doctors. And then I'm at a, an applied kinesiologist and chiropractor. And next thing I know, I'm getting Reiki and it's just like this gateway and you, you go down this slippery slope, but from just seeing so many other people's journeys out there, it's not an uncommon one because I think in a lot of ways, the traditional system really fails us. And there's a lot of great healing modalities and practices outside of the quote, traditional system that provide people a lot of healing and relief. And we should be calling those things, the traditional system, because they are like the OG practices that people yes. have been doing for millennia to thrive and stay healthy. And it's only in the last hundred, a couple hundred years that we've really gotten to this level of dysfunction as a society. Get off my soapbox for a second. So <laughs> man, so I, I had some really great experiences with energy medicine and Reiki. So I've pursued some, some Reiki training, but I think for me, it, it's, it's really just been a journey down and being open to different forms of spirituality. I am a true believer in energy. I would like to be more knowledgeable about and learn more about the world of quantum physics and not just because this Marvel movie came out, <laughs> which, which was not, which was not very good. I'm very disappointed by phase five. Sorry for anyone who likes it. I, I just think this whole multiverse and quantum mediums crap. I'm really not enjoying it. <laughs> and I think it's time for Kevin to go, the guy who produces all this stuff. But anyway, so I, I've just tried all sorts of stuff and, and, you know, sound baths and, and I don't think essential oils are too out there, but flower essences. And I, I know we talked about before 
the you press the big red record button, uh, maybe talking about biohacking, but this also led into the world of biohacking for me, which I will not claim to be an expert on. I'm one of those people where I do a lot of research. I learn enough to know why I'm going to do something. And then the knowledge just sort of evaporates from my head. So if you ask me, Hey, why did you choose to do that? I might not be able to tell you more than one or two bullet points, but there's usually a very good and informed reason why I do it. So, and I don't think these are too out there now, but you know, I do a lot of work with infrared and I try a lot of different substances and PEMF mats. And I, I just dabble in a lot of stuff, man. I, I just like to you know, safely treat myself like a guinea pig and see what happens. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's interesting because I, I think a lot of people have an aversion to energetics and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I've said this several times before on my podcast, but a, a common colloquial phrase that I hear at say a wedding or a large gathering is there's a lot of love in the room, or there was something off about that. And to me, those are all just pointing at energetics. There's, there's an energy of love in the room, or there is an, there is an absence of love in the room sure. where I think it's a really valuable thing to hone in on to mm. there. It's almost like the way that we are seeing the world. If we are trying to analyze and live scientifically all the time is 2d and life is really, mm. I don't even know what D, 3D, 4D, <laughs> there's a there's a million different dimensions. Sure. And yeah, it's, I guess what I'm saying is if you're not really paying attention to energy or spirituality or connection to something bigger and the, your entire worldview is built on scientific rigor, it just seems like it's going to be sorely missing in awe, wonder, beauty, mystery. It just, and it misses the complexity of life. I, I agree. And I, I, I'd have to reflect on this and come back with a more articulate answer. Cause I definitely have spent a lot of time thinking about this, but my response now is I think one is that the way that we are just groomed through the education system and the way things have been trending, uh, lately in society is we don't, we're, we're taught or groomed not to trust things that aren't, haven't gone through some peer reviewed, double blind controlled study, yada, yada, yada. I think the other thing too, though, is that we as a society are, we just spend so much time in our heads and we're so disconnected from our hearts and our gut and our intuition. And how can we be connected to other realms or other, you know, quote D's <laughs> if, if we're just completely stuck in our heads the whole time. And, and we are, we're just a very distracted society. Yeah. It's beautiful. I want to, I want to push you a little bit because I, I think that you don't give yourself enough credit for how articulate <laughs> for, for those who are listening, John's giving me the, the bring it on two hands towards him. I think that you can articulate pretty well, different elements of the things that you've named. And I'm, you. I'm not asking you to give a, a full, you know, write a novel or give a, a Ted talk about mm. biohacking, but I, I would love to hear you speak about, you could pick any of you named like Reiki. You didn't speak about nervous system, but I, I know that you've really, you've done deep dives into so many different elements of what it means to be well and what it means to be alive. And which one of those feels most alive for you? And if you could just riff on it for a little bit, I, I trust that it'll go fun places. So one thing I'll say is we didn't touch on this and this could be several dozen podcast episodes, but 
there is so much to the nervous system that plays into everything that we talked about on every level. And I'm far from the most qualified person to talk about it. And it'd be really awesome. I don't know if you've had someone on your podcast yet, who's talked about this, but it has so much to do with the decisions we make, how we show up in the world, how we feel on a day-to-day basis. And so that's just a whole another rabbit hole we could go down, but could you actually repeat the question for me? Yeah. And so, and I have had people on who talk about the nervous system. I, I don't think mm. I've had, like, I would love to have Deb Dana on or mm. Stephen Porges to, to talk about polyvagal theory, like people who are experts Absolutely. in the nervous system. So uh, Deb Dana, if you're listening, open invitation, <laughs> Michelle. I, I, the question I was after is, it, could you zoom in on one of the modalities, energetics-wise, that you do and, and how you... I guess how you arrived at like uh, Reiki is the one that comes up for me because I hear a lot of people talk about it and I, I don't know exactly what it is other than kind of energy work and whether it's an experience you've had or just language you could put to one of these things. I'm just wondering if you could zoom in on one of the modalities that you spoke about. So I, what I'd like to possibly address here is, is maybe just talking about from my perspective, what I I don't want to say what I consider biohacking because it's not for me to define and there's definition out there. But for me, my approach to it has always been, we live these very unconventional lifestyles compared to how human and other creatures in nature have been living for the last, how many hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years. And a lot of what I do, a lot of the practices that I have are basically to recreate the external environment in an internal environment. And, and not necessarily an internal environment, but really just returning back to how we're meant to live and be. And so for me, what that looks like is trying to spend as much time as possible outside, getting fresh air, making contact with the earth, making sure that my eyes are getting adequate exposure to sun and my skin at the right times to help set my circadian rhythms. And really offset a lot of the negative effects of being in under fluorescent lighting with, you know, in a home with stale air and being completely disconnected from the earth by carpet and cement and whatever kind of floor is in the house. So that's a lot of what I do. And it's, it's, there are some really cheap and easy and free, safe ways to do that. And there's also a lot of fancy, expensive ways that people spend a tremendous amount of money on. And it's really sad to think that a couple hundred years ago, people were doing all this stuff for free outside. Granted, they were having to deal with animal attacks and, and maybe bandits attacking them and not being safe though the way that we're safe now, but there's a trade-off. And that trade-off for all the comfort and convenience and safety that we have now is that we are very disconnected from our natural environment. And there is a tie-in to energy here. We used to be very energetically connected to the earth, to nature, to other animals to the sun, to the environment, everything, everything is made up of energy and has to do with energy in some way, shape or form. So if, if you want some examples and something I'm always trying to dial in is sleep. I've, I've been challenged with sleep my entire life. My mom's been challenged with sleep. I, I am convinced there's a little bit of a genetic component there and there's a lot of other things there too, but I, I, man, I'm, I'm trying to think about all the things I do. If you saw me before I went to bed, you would think that I was probably about to engage in some inappropriate actions and some PG-13 or R actions because <laughs> I've got a blindfold on, I've got plugs in my ears, I've got tape over my mouth. 
I've got a nasal strip on opening my nasal passages <laughs> and I'm sure I'm forgetting something right now, but there is something over every orifice or around every orifice trying to do something to dial in my sleep. I, I am a big proponent of grounding, whether that's going outside and making contact with the earth and doing an exchange of negative ions and, and having that energy exchange of the earth. I also have grounding mats and grounding devices. I very liberally use infrared lighting for healing and for helping to manage my circadian rhythms as well. I, I mean, you could ask me about any area of life and I've probably got some tool, technique, tip, hack, or something that I've tried to, to do to create some sort of effect. But, you know, I have basically spent money on it, invested time or energy into it at some point in my life. And it's something I enjoy. And there's also a danger with it, which we've talked about before. And if we're kind of zooming out and talking about self-development and self-improvement in general, as you start going down that path, it can be be a little treacherous treacherous (laughs) as you go down that path for many reasons. And one of which is that you can just keep on, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's just an endless number of things you can preoccupy yourself with. And it's kind of like when medical students go to, to medical school and they're going through their textbooks, they're learning about all these diseases and all of a sudden they're becoming hypochondriacs and they, they start self-diagnosing themselves with every disease that they're learning about because they've got, you know, one, two, three symptoms that are manifesting. I think it can be the same thing with self-improvement and self-development when you start learning about all these really great things, but then especially if you're introspective and, and super self-aware, you start questioning everything and you start wondering if something applies to you and you just keep on finding the next thing to work on. And a challenge with that, in addition to this, it's a never ending process is that if you are constantly pursuing fixing yourself and not being broken and healing, you're sending yourself the message that you are and you're reinforcing it with your actions. And when you do that, you're sending yourself the unconscious and subconscious messages that you're broken, that you need to be fixed, that you're not good enough, that you need to be healed. And that will continue to manifest for that reason. Yeah. I know I just took that in a million directions. It's amazing though, because and... you're you're making my job really easy, John. So <laughs> there were two things I wanted to talk about. One of them was, they're really intricately tied together here. One was what are the dangers of over-indexing on biohacking, right? Like, Mm. for instance, if I have one bite of a cookie, like I know that I know the perils of that. I know the danger I'm putting my body in. And so I I must avoid all toxins at all costs. (laughs) And so I I guess you could speak to that first. And then I I have other areas I want to go, which you've already teed up beautifully. So it'll make it easy for me. I'll be careful with my words because I don't want my experience to project out into everyone else who's gone down these paths. But I think for a lot of things, there's probably a useful upper limit and a lot of people will take it well past that. And they'll, they'll overinvest time, energy, resources, and to going after these things when in reality, a much smaller dose that required less time, energy, money, et cetera, would have been beneficial. If we wanted to like really zoom out, we could probably talk about exercise unless you're a bodybuilder or bikini competitor pursuing 4% body fat. You probably don't need to be on the treadmill six hours a week and doing two workouts a day and eating a certain way. Yet a lot of people do. And you can take that from that kind of high level example, all the way to the extremes where people will just take hundreds of pills a day and go sit in a sauna for six hours. And a lot of these things have curves where, you know, there's a benefit to a point. And then when you start doing more and more and more, it's either diminishing returns or the effect starts reversing and it's a negative impact. So 
I think it's really just figuring out what moves the needle and not trying to do much more than you really need to do. I think the other area that I wanted to explore that you you teed up in your couple of responses ago, there's a, you call it the, the self-improvement paradox. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, this is something that I come to all the time where I'm, I'm getting more and more in good relationship with the, the balance of self-acceptance, self-love, really just honoring my wholeness and saying like, you're, you're perfect just the way that you are, Mike, mm. and honoring that with also there's always striving and development and growth and learning. How do you, how do you look at the balance of those two things in your own life? I have definitely been complicit in this self-improvement paradox. And I don't think it was even until recently, when I say recently, a couple of years ago, and I still catch myself quite often falling into the trap of going down one avenue, one vein and working on something. And then through that work, discovering something else and going down that vein and then another one, another one, another one. And I think that it's very challenging because I think when you're doing this work with the level of self-awareness that you gain, with the things that you learn about yourself, you need to match that with an equal level of self-love and compassion. And I know that's really hard for a lot of people, but you can't keep on going after the next thing to try to fix yourself. And you really have to learn how to love yourself and extend that compassion to yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to be chasing that next shiny object for the rest of your life, trying to fix something. Another thing too is, I I think I spent a lot of time trying to understand why I became the way I, I was and really looking back into my past, my childhood and putting a lot of emphasis on that. And, and I know this could get into some like gray area or some murky area. And, and maybe some areas I'm not qualified to talk about. But for me, I sometimes realize a much greater benefit from doing work to cultivate something new than trying to fix something from the past that I thought was broken. And I think there are things that we need to look into our past for and examine and and maybe to gain awareness of something or some level of understanding about ourselves, or maybe there is some therapeutic benefit to diving into the past But I think for me in my life, the most benefit that I've gotten in my self-improvement journey is from trying to forge positive new relationships with myself or trying to create a new identity, which we talked about a little bit before when you're talking about this this identification as an athlete and look look at things moving forward and not so much looking in the rearview mirror or looking back over my shoulder. I hope that answered your question. Like what maybe one way to paraphrase would be what's the type of person I want to be versus what, what type of person have I been? And just really looking at what type of person have I been? Sure. It's, it's who at my core, who do I authentically feel like I am or want to be? And it's, it's tricky as a balancing act because I don't necessarily believe in this whole world of think it and you'll become it or just pounding out affirmations and, and, and writing them out all the time. And I've done that. I've been there, done that. Or, and I think there's, there's some value in that for sure. Well, also recognize on a psychological level, you can't really lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't lie to yourself into becoming something because there's a part of your unconscious that will reject that and it'll just slingshot back. 
And so it's, it's a really, it's a really fine line and, and tough balancing act. But I think what people can do is they can start pursuing things or taking action that are congruent with the person they want to become. And just these very, very small steps, accumulating these small wins. As you accumulate these small wins, you start gaining confidence. You start identifying with the actions that you took. And then eventually that blossoms into an identity. Yeah. So I, I have some things to share about this as well, because sure. it's, it's something yeah, I'd love I to hear your perspective. I think a lot about it. And I think maybe one really simple way to put it, and sometimes simple models are really the most helpful. If you are, say, you know, let's say you're already into personal development and you find a course that you think is going to help you better understand I don't know how to eat the optimal diet given your own bio individuality. Mm -hmm. Are you doing this course because of excitement? It's an opportunity to learn and grow, or is it, are you chasing? Like if I do this next thing, I, I can't possibly be complete without it and only will be whole if I do this course. And yeah. I have signed up for courses or taken action in my life from both places. And, and they're very distinctly different. So one simple frame is the simple question, am I taking this action out of fear or out of love, curiosity, what, fill in the blank with the word, which is one way I exactly. would look at it. Another way that I look at it is that our body, if you build intelligence more than just intellect so it's somatic and emotional intelligence are big ones and, and maybe even if you feel connected to other people or spirit our body's always giving us cues about mm. what is important to us and what's not important to us so with regard to affirmations that are junky if i don't really care that much about having a giant house but i'm writing affirmations about mm -hmm. having a giant house it's not going to be very aligned but something I do care about is being in community with people that I feel deeply intimately connected with. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I can feel that if I really imagine being with a group of 20 people in my life that I feel just open hearted love with that is visceral. And I can experience that in the moment. And I think that's where affirmations can be really powerful. And, and that's where mm -hmm. tuning into like, it's here with me now and I get to move out into the world with, with this same energy and that feels way more aligned to me than the scarcity of like, there's something out there that I need to grab at that will make me whole. And without that thing, I am not whole. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's what's the energy behind it? What is your t intention behind it? Is it in alignment with what you truly want at your core? Yeah. And all those things affect the outcome that you get. Absolutely. And another thing that I'll, I'll say about this before we move on is that I've been thinking a lot more about this specifically recently and saying it with my clients and thinking about it with myself, whatever we most are triggered by in other people, it's aspects mm -hmm. of our own unconscious that we've rejected. So Absolutely. if I think that if I'm getting really, really, really annoyed that someone is complaining too much or talking too much, then it's something for me to look at internally. What, what, why am I reacting this way? What is, what am I not willing to see in myself is a, is a question that I'll ask in that way. Absolutely. And if there's a quality that I really admire about someone else, this person is so warm. They're so charismatic. 
there's also an element of I have that quality. If I see that and really admire that in someone else, that is something that I have within me as well. And I think that reclaiming those qualities is a, a really powerful place to be in and, and owning that we are we are so many different things. And it's not, I don't know, I'm trying to think of maybe Brene Brown is, is someone that I really, really look up to. If I really sit with what I most admire about her, it's the way that she's able to be vulnerable. And even from her quote unquote expert chair, what I'm most drawn to about her is that she shares fully about what's not working in her life. And mm. I, I feel that commitment to uh, doing what's best for the greatest good. And instead of externalizing, like I need to be Brene Brown's level to <laughs> have that, it's uh, I have all of that right now. It's here with me. I'm, I'm already capable of creating that in my life in this moment. And can I can I move through my life with that? Absolutely. And even with all that, even with all the resources that she has, you're never going to be Brene Brown. Only Brene Brown's can be Brene, Brene Brown and you're going to be Mike Chugman. Yes. Absolutely. And you, you said something super important, which is whenever we're triggered by these things, it's, you know, it's either something from our past that is getting poked, some wound that's getting poked, or it's some kind of negative belief or conception we have about ourselves and we're just projecting it out. And that's a really great time to hold up the mirror and look at that, examine that, try to extend it some love, some compassion. And if you can't do that, some curiosity, start getting introspective about that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, over the years, I definitely heard that message a lot, but it never really landed for me until I read the four agreements. I think mm -hmm. when I read that book, that's when it really just hit home and I definitely need to revisit that book. This is a, this is a great reminder of that. It's a really good book. And I did, have you watched the show Barry <laughs> or yes. heard of it? Yes. I love it. There's a hilarious scene where it's like two gangs that are going at it. And the head <laughs> of one gang's on the, on the phone with the head of another gang. <laughs> and they, they somehow realize that they aren't that different after all. And they, and they break it to a conversation about the four agreements and how amazing a book it is. <laughs> It I almost fell in my chair that. in that episode. It was the, it was the, it was the Chechnyans and the, the, the Colombians, I think. And yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> and then, so it was, good. It was, then it was a bromance after that, literally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's not to spoil it for anyone in the show who hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, watch it. Fantastic. And if you haven't read the four agreements, read the four agreements. You can read it probably in one day. It's a really yes. simple, but easily, easily digestible and also really profound book. Yes. That's, that's one of my, if someone ever came to me and they said, you know, I'm just getting into self-development, self-improvement, where do you recommend I start in terms of books and literature? That's probably in the top five, top three that I would give them. It's just a complete paradigm shift. Yeah. What, what's one thing that shifted in you from, I know that you said it's been a while ago, but what's one thing that, that shifted in you? I have some insights in the book as well. I think one that you just, called out that we related back to the book is one of them and just really how we construct our realities and move throughout our day-to-day -day lives based on those realities and how we relate to other people who have different perspectives and realities mm -hmm. i think that just the book was a really just profound way of examining human psychology and interpersonal relationships and the way that it's written is so simple and so beautiful and, and poetic and it's very gentle and approachable. And 
so much of it for that reason just just stuck with me and it was really what it, it allowed it to very stealthily and easily sink in and just expand my reality how about yourself yeah. what 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 did were there any huge takeaways for you i just, just i remember in the beginning of the book it, it maybe perhaps wasn't the first time that i heard it but there was just something about the timing and the way that he described the way that we project our realities all the time but he said something to the effect of we're all walking around with these clouds around us all the time that are they're really affecting the way that we see other people and allowing mm. ourselves to be seen and if we just make the, the commitment to i always forget exactly what the four are but be impeccable with your word always do your best mm. don't take things personally i'm not recalling the last one either yeah, and it, it always escapes me, but I'll, I'll, of course, link to the book in the show notes and people can find out for themselves. But it does feel true that if you are just really sincere, it, it's simple and yet it can be really hard hmm. that if you are attuned to what matters most to you and can see the true essence of other people, then a, a lot of the other noise and BS melts away a little bit. And sometimes I think of... You and I did positive intelligence course, which I'm actually doing again right now. One of the powerful exercises in the program is to take a picture of yourself as a young child mm. and just look at the, the essence of what you were as a child before you had any worldviews thrust upon you, before you had any tough experiences. Granted, we've, we've spoken a little bit about intergenerational traumas that you can have, but as a child, essentially, you're you're born curious about the world and joyful at large, and mm -hmm. and not afraid to speak. What so crying if you actually are needing attention, and you know that like you just do whatever Emoted. is is happening mm -hmm. for you. And so, a, a powerful exercise that I'm in touch with is not only to imagine that young boy in me, but to imagine the young child in all of the people that I otherwise might have a really mm -hmm. tough time empathizing with, but if I could just be in touch with, they were just at one point, a little child who probably is acting this way because they were wounded at a point in their life that fosters a lot more connection, compassion, and empathy. And it drops my projection down a lot. And, mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully, and speaking of energy, if I am really receptive to another person and, and they can, they sense that in me, they are going to feel safer dropping their guard. And mm -hmm. what a beautiful cascading, shift that can that can create absolutely what you said is so powerful and, and a really good reminder and, and for anyone who's listening to this a really fantastic exercise i haven't done this in quite a while and i remember going through that and it was very very impactful at the time and i applied it immediately to some situations in my life especially with my parents mm -hmm. and oftentimes these reactions come from those hurt part of ourselves when we are very young and a lot of people are walking around emotionally, still very young children and adult yes. bodies, and they're, they're still acting out those old wounds. And so what a great way to extend compassion to people than to imagine a younger version of themselves. And it's very disarming too. Yes. It's, it's, it's really hard to be mad at a kid. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to just having negative energies toward a kid. And yeah, I think it's a really beautiful point that you just brought up for is a great reminder for myself and anyone listening to really try to tap into that level of compassion, take that perspective. There's a wounded child who's acting out and your partner, 
and your friends, your family, especially your parents. And what, what a great way to tap into that. Beautiful. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. I'm wondering if there's anything that we, I know we, we kind of pre-gamed a little bit with different ideas that we would talk about. And I'm wondering if there's anything that we haven't spoken about that you would like to bring into the conversation now. I have a couple of different ideas, but I, I love when we co-navigate together. So uh-huh. I, want to give, I want to give you some agency here. Thank you. Thank you. So I know we talked about maybe doing some kind of rapid fire stuff or just riffing on a few things. And given the conversations we've had and we've alluded to, I'll speak for myself. I'm pretty sure if memory serves, there's some experiences on your end too with orthorexia. Yeah. So given you, your food evolution and dietary evolution, I'm very curious what's on Mike's plate these days. And <laughs> what what does Mike's fitness routine look like if, if you have one or fitness practices? Yeah. What are you enjoying these days? So just quickly, I don't think we've defined orthorexia. So I'll say orthorexia to me, it correct me if I'm wrong, but it's being hyper vigilant about everything that I need to, everything I eat needs to be really clean and like over concerned with my health to the point where it's actually destructive. Correct. Yeah. So in, in the days where maybe right around the time that I signed up for Institute for Integrated Nutrition and, and probably at various points during my time at IAN and maybe even a little bit afterwards, I was highly convinced that a ketogenic diet was the optimal diet and that everyone needed to be on a ketogenic diet. And I had heard, and there are really powerful benefits to the way it affects your brain. And I'd listened to testimonials and stories about people who had reversed a lot of the effects of autism, ADD, ADHD, different uh, avoided medical intervention based on the ketogenic diet alone. And a lot of that was from Dave Asprey of mm-hmm. uh, Bulletproof fame. And I had become so fascinated by that, that my it just felt like if I put an ounce of sugar into my body, which I like even avoided fruit, I remember distinctly there were times where I did not want to eat apples because it was like there's, you know, there's 15 to 18 grams of sugar in an apple right. and my, you know, how, how is my insulin response going to be in that moment? And it was, I started to get a really nasty mm-hmm. relationship with food. And at times I would let myself free again, air quotes, and I would just let it rip on a crazy <laughs> amount of dessert. And so what I would say, what has shifted for me is that I've realized yeah, it's my, I guess my come from in anything is more important than the what or like Mm. my my way of being is more important than the content or another way context matters more than content so uh, what looks like what a healthy Mm. relationship with food looks like for me is now i'm mostly still i'm probably 90 10 with regard to eating really healthy paleo whole 30 whole foods whatever you want to call it type of diet and 10% of the time, if I go out, I will get what looks best for me or feels best for me on the menu. Sometimes, like if I go to Emmy Squared in New York City, that is a big pizza and a big salad. And cannot. you can't not, right? If you're going to Emmy Squared. And there are other times where I will consciously make the choice. I'm going to have salmon and broccoli at this restaurant. Like I just haven't deemed it worthy of me getting a 
pile of ribs or something. Amen. So to give a more direct answer, like what is what does my plate look like now, given that I'm not orthorexic and feel like I have a very healthy relationship with food? Intermittent fasting has been really, it's not for everyone. It's been really great for me. I've had somewhat digestive issues in my past, nothing crazy, but I feel that it's it's just been best for me to not eat for 16 to 18 hour windows at a time. So I usually stop eating at eight, eat at 12. Sometimes like today, I actually ate at like three because I had another podcast interview before this. Mm. So 16 to 18 hours, I'm not eating. I'm just having water and black coffee with MCT oil in the morning. My first meal, if I can help it in any way, is a giant salad. My salad is mixed greens, kind of like the spring mix, uh, lettuce, arugula. Sometimes there's a little spinach in there. Chopped red onions, red peppers, cucumbers, two or three hard-boiled eggs, half an avocado, shit ton of olive oil, all the Mm -hmm. seasoning in the world. Celtic sea salt, (laughs) pepper, cayenne pepper, turmeric, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. I supplement with a fish oil. I use Nordic naturals. That's, I think that I just remember like you, I kind of internalized, like I do my research and a lot of, I cross pollinated like what Max <laughs> Ludivier was saying, what Dr. Mark Hyman said. And mm-hmm. I, th- that's the one I arrived at. I take in the winter, especially I take a vitamin D3. I take 5,000. I, I use, I think it's called. And I take a B12. And then for dinner, I usually have a grass-fed meat, mm-hmm. about two servings of one, and usually chopped up with like white onions and a vegetable, broccoli, Brussels, asparagus, zucchini, but it's usually broccoli or Brussels sprouts. And then after dinner, I will have some dark chocolate, typically in the 70 to 100% range. Sometimes I'm a savage and go full 100%. And nice. Fruit. Apple, bananas, <laughs> banana on sourdough with almond butter is one of my go-to favorites. And that's that's the full download for what Michael eats on a normal day-to-day. So you have fruit now and your health has not fallen apart. It's it's crazy, man. I wow. mean, <laughs> I can't believe it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you asked about exercise too. I've had I've had back pain for mm-hmm. the past five years. And so it's to varying degrees. I have I've really been thinking about the psychosomatic component of my back pain and that is probably not from structural damage or from spinal misalignment like I had previously thought. But nonetheless, I, I really threw my back out two weeks ago and I would say my movement practice Sorry has largely that. been, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, my movement practice has largely been, I've done foundation training, which is a lot of connection with the breath mixed with lighting up your posterior chain. So getting hamstrings, glutes, low back, middle back, upper back, really the back body all working. Mm-hmm. Lats, lats instead of traps. And uh, combining that with good breath and also like getting my feet in the right position and like really moving my feet. It's a, a full body approach that is not all that dissimilar to yoga. And mm. I, on a good day, I look at my back pain as an invitation to really be gentle and patient with myself. It's been a, a teacher of patience for me. And on a bad day, which, or a bad moment, which is many, I uh, throw my hands in the air and I'm like, can't I just fucking lift again and work out hard again? And there are definitely parts of me that, 
that yearn for that. But it's got me really back into walking 10,000 steps a day and being outside, which is great. Hmm. I know the, uh, the call from swole life is strong sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. That's great, man. I, I would say if I can jump in here, you what you saying, said, yeah. what you said, experience wise timeline, where you've landed with your diet, unsurprisingly, very much in alignment with mine. I would say starting about a year or two ago, I really significantly reduced my, my meat intake. I'm not out grilling impossible burgers or eating impossible McMuffins or whatever. I, I stay away from that stuff for health reasons as well. But I, ever since I had a dog, it really shifted my relationship with animals and even the cows and the pigs. And so I, I have a harder time now consuming meat and I'm a lot more intentional just from, from multiple facets, environmentally, from animal cruelty, for personal health reasons, how much meat I consume. And I've, I've dialed that back significantly. I eat a lot more fruit than I've ever had in my life. And I would say I, I follow some hybrid between sometimes keto, sometimes there's probably always paleo undercurrents or foundation, some Mediterranean elements uh, thrown in there, but it's some meat, a lot of fruits and veggies. I've been going a little lighter on the fats recently. I kind of just follow my intuition in terms of when I want to eat. And I usually end up fasting inadvertently for 12 to 16 hours. And I try to hydrate a lot, have a little bit of coffee. I always have a lot of supplements. I don't always take them all. I like to experiment with different things. My, my staples are five to 10,000 IU of vitamin D. I take about 60 milligrams of zinc and I'll usually have a vitamin C, a magnesium. And those are like my, my go-tos. If I had to have something every day, it's probably that. And then I'm always playing around with other stuff, adaptogens and mushrooms and various nootropics and, and very obscure stuff that we won't get into because we'll go down another rabbit hole. But maybe if we, if we hop on at another point, I'll, I'll share some of those. We can go deeper into the, the biohacking world. That's where I am. And then in, in terms of exercise, I used to be a complete gym rat and loved lifting all the time and, and went really deep. Um, at one point I was considering quitting my job and, and getting into personal training. And that was kind of one of those first routes I was considering before health coaching and where I've ended up now, and it actually really shifted with the pandemic when we weren't able to go to the gyms anymore. And I was doing a lot of at home body weight, kettlebell band stuff. And then ever since I've been on this, this journey with this semi-nomadic lifestyle, which we didn't even hit on today, really. I really dialed it back. And so I have a very basic routine now. And I don't know if you've heard of Ben Patrick and knees over toes. I've been doing his program since March of last year. And aside from that, I just go on a lot of walks and try to connect with nature, uh, connect with myself and take it easy on myself. I, I beat myself up in the gym a lot over the years, got a lot of small injuries that accumulated and hence why I'm doing something like knees over toes. And so I'm really just trying to dial it back, really find out what's the 80, 20 for me that makes the most difference and not do too much more. And another thing I do, which I was doing before I took a break from, I'm starting to do again, I'll leave a little bit of a cliffhanger here is I've been hitting a golf ball with a rubber mallet a couple thousand times a day and using that as a form of exercise too. But 
we won't get into that one right now. Well, I, I mean, you have me very curious. I, <laughs> if you if you have just a few minutes to talk about it, I'm I'm here for it. Is 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 part of a a brain training regimen that I'm doing? I have felt like, and this will trickle into all aspects of what we've talked about today. I I feel like I've battled or, and, and maybe using that word as part of the problem. I, I feel like I've been challenged with various cognitive health issues over the years, ranging from something like depression to just feeling like I brain fog all the time. And ever since I got COVID back in October, this would be October, 2022. I, I don't know if what I had would be considered long COVID, but I felt like I took a huge step back in a lot of improvements that I had made right before I got in COVID. And so I, I've been on a journey for, for several years to kind of get back to where I was. And I'm going to be careful with my words, think about everything that we talked about before and how, to, how we approach these things. But I've been really trying to go deep and hard on my brain health. And I, I feel like between COVID and long COVID and the way that society is constructed now, the things that we are uh, consuming, all the constant stimulation and distraction, the foods that we have, the pollutants that we breathe in, I, I do feel like we have to take extra measures to really bolster our, our brain. And so this whole, these hammer drills with the mallet has been a part of that. And I just, I was doing that for a while. I recently picked it up again last week. And I would like to touch base with you in about 90 or 120 days and, and let you know some of my observations and experiences from that and the, and the broader program that I'm doing. Well, this has felt like an amazing round one of, of what we have kind <laughs> of, we've tagged as our version of Tim Ferriss's and Kevin Rose's The Random Show. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this. We've also left a lot of tabs open that we could pick back up in another time. We did not talk about you being a digital nomad, which I have written down here. And I don't like that. I don't like that term. <laughs> don't, don't call me that. We, we speak to our, we call ourselves film black. What would you call yourself? I don't know, man. I'm just a guy working, traveling around the world. And I don't do labels. That's it. I don't do labels. Don't, don't put me in a, label don't put me. Me in a box. Don't put me in a box. God damn okay. it. <laughs> Well, I'll still, I'll leave the invitation again here. It feels complete to me. And also, if there's anything that we haven't spoken about in today's iteration that you would like to bring up before I just ask maybe one or two more questions for you. Uh, Let's have go. Have time. Let's do it. The questions. I feel, I feel complete as well. Okay, my friend. What is an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Showers are definitely one. I just, I, I didn't used to love it and I've recently learned to love it again. It was just very much a utility for me in the past. And now it's a, a, a way to self-soothe and, and regulate in a healthy way. And I'd honestly say, I think walking outside is just one of my favorite things, especially when I'm disconnected. I, I often, and we've talked about this before in the past, we'll throw in a podcast or listen to music and those things snatch us away from being present. And so when I'm just on these walks, listening to the birds chirp, feeling the breeze, being mindful of my body and the space that's occupying it, it's lovely. It's a lovely reset. And of course, sleeping. Amazing. What about uh, I, you? I share, I share those. I, I do love, and I also relish in the cold showers, cold showers, like black coffee are acquired tastes that I've learned to love. I love my black coffee. 
I I love cuddling with Ari and first mm. getting into bed. And there are moments where I don't, so I'm not going to pre- pretend that it's it's always amazing for me. But what are some other moments? The first time I step outside and and hear a bird chirping or notice a tree or something like that are beautiful moments. Yeah, and a, a lot of times in the morning when I journal, I. I reflect on what I'm grateful for in the previous day. And it feels really good lately that, you know, a lot of times I wake up and, and my cortisol is surging, which is a healthy response to waking up in the morning. You want cortisol to be surging through you. And there's also a a little bit of a negativity bias. And when I start to remember things I'm grateful for, for the past day, what I end up realizing a lot of the time is that I'll write six things down. And it's like, wow, I had some really beautiful moments yesterday, really mm. connecting moments with other people or conversations that I just totally forgot about. And then I'll journal about whatever's going on in my inner world. And then a lot of times I'll remember, oh, there's that other thing that happened. And mm. it's a, it's a testament to, you know, we, we kind of, whatever we are paying attention to in our mind, we, we seek more of that. It's the, uh, the old, it's, I think it's the reticular activating system if we're being fancy. And if you see, mm-hmm. if you say, hey, look for tall white guys outside, you're just going to notice tall white guys or the more common one. I just, I didn't want to default to the common one, but if you look for, go look for red cars or we're talking about <laughs> red cars, you're just going to notice more red cars. Your, your brain pays attention to what you tell it to pay attention to. Well, I was going to bring up the red car example if you didn't, so. <laughs> have to have to put it in there. Amazing. So you said the four agreements, if you were to recommend three to five personal development books to someone who had never read a personal development book, the four agreements would be one of them. Do any mm-hmm. other come to mind? I love The Big Leap, which we were talking about right before the show. I feel like that is just a really great way of understanding how you've been and why perhaps certain patterns in your life perpetuate and why some things do not. And so I think for anyone who is maybe trying to make a shift in their life and feel like they keep on hitting a ceiling and running up against a wall, definitely crack open that book. It's, it's wonderful. And then the last one, not the last one, but what's just coming up for me right now in this moment, and I preserve the right to amend this in the future, is a book called The Courage to Be Disliked. It's a very interesting philosophical book, and it's it's the form is a Socratic discussion, and I will leave it to the listeners to go look this one up and discover what it's about and if it's right for them. Well, the, the final question I ask, and I'll, I'll link to where people can connect with you online and I'll link to all the resources that we mentioned in the show notes of which there are plenty. Mm. (laughs) The final question that I ask every interview, John is what does it mean to you to live a meaningful life? That that's a deep one, Mike. And that's a loaded question for me. Living a meaningful life is something that I'm still discovering the more layers that I peel back and the more that I'm detaching from these old mindsets and beliefs that I had and stepping into the new mindsets and beliefs. But I would say it's probably a good starting point is discovering and embracing your values and starting to live your life around those values. And again, we talked about this before the show. I think a lot of people will live their life and try to fit their values in. And 
there are others who will decide definitively what those values are and will relentlessly pursue them and design their life around that. And so I think if you can just become self-aware and, or let me take a step back. I can't define that for anyone, but if I can become as self-aware as possible and really understand my values and just do everything possible to be in alignment with those, that'll be a meaningful life. Well, this was a highly successful, in, in my estimation, first recorded to be put out in the world conversation that we've had together. And I, I typically end after the, the meaningful life question by acknowledging my guests. And now I, I get to acknowledge a really close friend of mine. So Thank I, you. I'm honored to be here. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I always cherish our conversations and it, it feels really good to be able to amplify its reach now that we can, this is really a conversation that you and I probably have some version of anyway on our own. And <laughs> it's, it feels really good to be able to, uh, to share it with other people because I, I just, every time that we speak together, it seems like we derive a lot of value and insight and, and leave feeling equal parts refreshed, challenged, seeing things differently. And man, it, it's crazy to think about the existence of our friendship kind of hinging on me seeing that you went to Institute for Integrative Nutrition mm -hmm. and were in accounting at one point in your career and reaching out to you. And uh, man, I'm, I'm really grateful that I, that I did that, that I reached out to you, that you said yes, and immediately were interested in hearing about, I believe the words that you said to me on LinkedIn before we had ever spoken, where I always love hearing about other people's stories and connecting on that. Mm. And in, yeah. in a lot of ways you were, you were living into your values of, of connection and, and I don't know what you would say your values are, but I felt like connection was a really important one to you there and, and seeing other people in a way that it's, it, it was kind of missing a little bit in my life at that point that I, I didn't feel like I had that many people that I, I could really drop into very shared experience with. And I had all sorts of stories about you know, accountants don't really care about having a, a purpose-driven, meaningful life. And yeah, you, you've really shifted the way I see myself and see the world in a lot of ways. And, and this conversation was just an extension of all the other incredible ones that we've already had. Really grateful yeah. for our friendship, man. Thank you so much, Mike. I, I am too. And, you know, every time we speak, which again was for a long time weekly, and it's, we've had to just make some shifts based on schedules and locations lately, and would definitely welcome a, a more regular cadence again in the future <laughs> and, and now. But yeah, every time I speak to you, I'm, I'm either immediately introspective after elated, feeling expansive. It's always positive, great stuff. And I'm, I'm so happy you're my life. I'm very grateful you're my life and that you, re you reached out to me that we made that connection and that we're still great friends three or four years later. It's, yeah. it's really wonderful. And it'll continue to grow. It'll continue to evolve. And, and now we've got a, a new playground to mess around in. And well, I don't know what the regularity will be, but little cliffhanger for listeners. This will not be the last time that John will be on because it's, we just love, if you couldn't tell from the last hour and a half or so we'd love jamming together so until next time uh sending you all lots of love and take very good care thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to mike's search for meaning 
If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.